0: From Carr, Rigs, and Ingram, this is It Figures, the CRI podcast, an accounting, advisory, and industry-focused podcast for business and organization leaders, entrepreneurs, and anyone who is looking to go beyond the status quo.
1: Hello, this is Scott Bailey from Carr, Riggs and Ingram. I'm a partner in the Raleigh, North Carolina office, specializing in insurance Manufacturing and construction, with uh, a primary focus in captive insurance. And I'm here with Stephen Laredi.
0: Uh, hello, I'm Stephen Laredi. I'm a partner in the Nashville office for Carveries and Ingram, and also have a uh, specialty focus in our captive insurance and alternative risk management
1: group. And. Stephen and I wanted to chat a little bit today about a set of captive structures called uh, protected cell captives. wanted to talk through some of the benefits, a few of the drawbacks, how they're structured, who can use them, just tackle some basic questions. So if we want to start from the top, Stephen, could you give us a little background into what protected cell captives are?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So at it, it the, it the most basic sense, a protected cell captive structure is a uh, type of captive insurance company um, that allows for uh, segregated accounts. And, and really what that means is that you can have one licensed and capitalized insurance company that you can use to set up separate accounts that really act as their own insurance companies within that that structure so you can have one license entity with you know two insurance companies one insurance company really you know 100 or more you know operating insurance companies all with under that that same uh, licensing structure
1: okay so basically you've kind of got almost like a nested set of companies. All operating on that one insurance license. Absolutely. That's pretty cool. So, are these typically structured as uh, C corporations or what's the typical formation structure?
0: You see some uh, that are incorporated cell structures, and you also have some that are set up under uh, an LLC uh, structure. It really just depends. you know, a lot of the ways, you know, from an operational standpoint, it, it really is going to function the same either way. You do have different levels of, of segregation depending on the, the structure, and, and there's some nuances as far as, you know, moving the, the money or getting money out of the, the cells. But really, whether you do a corporation or LLC, from from an operational sense, you'd, you'd be looking at a, at a similar
1: function. Great. So it sounds like these offer a lot of different benefits that are kind of unique to this uh, to this type of captive. So uh, it seems like the flexibility of this structure would be a tremendous benefit.
0: It, it really is. I and mean, then really where that comes in at is, is where we see a lot of the series structures formed is, is you really have. You can have a sponsor, say a captive manager or a broker, basically sponsor the core and capitalize that, and then they can set up these segregated cells for their their clientele underneath uh, that that core, which really lowers your 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 cost of entry or cost of formation uh, for that that captive. And the flexibility really comes in at the the fact that you can have as, as little or as many cells under that same capital. Requirement. So there's a lot of uh, it's, it's very easy to expand or contract
1: the program underneath the series. And as you say, there seem to be some cost benefits to this structure too.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, and that really comes in at you know one from from the upfront capital. Uh, again, as I mentioned earlier, you can have one capital base at the core, and that can be utilized to satisfy that capital requirement for each cell. So if you are a smaller Uh, If you you want to form a smaller captive program but don't want to pay in the 250 or or more in your capital requirement, you could start one of these with really none and just rely on the capital of the core, assuming that, that that's capitalized and set up properly. And it also allows for some economies of scale when you're looking at the... You know audit services or actuarial services they're able to, to kind of bundle those and look at i mean you still have to look at each of these as their own separate companies but the cost structure is a little bit lower same with the management fee for the
1: companies gotcha gotcha and with that uh, flexibility and cost it seems like it'd be pretty simple to uh, bring cells in or as uh, as programs in to sort of let those go into roll off but the captive program continues on is that does that sound right
0: absolutely absolutely we also see somewhere um you know maybe the the program isn't large enough to do their own standalone captive at first and so they will form under a series structure but then as that program matures and grows and they find new opportunities and coverage lines they may get to the point where it makes more sense for them to spin off as their own standalone captive program. And that, uh, you know, from what we've seen has been relatively easy to do, is to really pull out of that cell series and then relicense and capitalize as your own standalone captive. So very easy from that standpoint as well.
1: So there seem to be a lot of these benefits, flexibility, cost, and uh, a very flexible cost structure, Mm -hmm. Uh, the ability to kind of expand and contract as needed, and um, that there's a little bit more just, just seems to be overall more flexible as a structure. What are some of the drawbacks to these?
0: You know, some of that is, you know, depending on how it's set up and structured, you can have a little bit less control of your captive program, um, you know, because you are going to be tied into the sponsor of that of that core to a certain degree. And, you know, a lot, a lot of these, uh, the, the cores or the sponsors, you know, may charge fees to the cells for operating under there. Uh, under their using their license, really uh, exactly, right. exactly, and um, you know, in some cases there can be tax implications. Uh, you know, if you want to, you know, move funds between the cells if you have you know a couple different cells set up rather than putting them all under one standalone uh, captive.
1: Um, so but, basically, there, if you own multiple cells within a captive and you're trying to move funds between them. There's the potential for double taxation there. Yes, you
0: can. Yeah, if you're having to dividend or pull money out of one sale to capitalize another one, for example, um, you know, you could have some tax implications with, with moves like that. But, you know, overall, from what we've seen, um, I mean, the benefits typically far outweigh the uh, the cons uh, for Uh, smaller programs that that don't quite have the volume to do their own
1: standalone program. Definitely. They sound like a real easy entry solution for, for companies interested in captives. Who do we see setting up? Uh, protected cell captives or series LLCs?
0: You know, a a lot of um, the captive management firms or the insurance brokers will sponsor these series and put the uh, capital up and that allows them to Um, really lower the the barrier of entry for their client base into the captain program. So we see brokers and captain managers doing it a lot. You know, we also have, um, you know, some that's really across the board, like the one that comes to my mind right now is that we work with a a fairly large uh, general contractor and they actually set up a series structure and they set up different sales to ensure the different operating segments within their uh, their holding company their portfolio of companies and they've actually used that as a way to provide an equity compensation to some of the executives for that company without having to give them ownership in the main operating company so there's right. a lot of different things
1: you can do with these with these programs right and so what other types of risks are we are we mainly seeing in these I know we've seen some medical stop loss, what else are you, are you I mean, really
0: the risks are across the board. I mean, any kind of risk that you can look at um, from a self-insurance stand, standpoint or, you know, wanting to do a high deductible program and put that low deductible into the captive can be used for these. I mean, they're, they're really not limited to any kind of specific coverages. I mean, I think to answer your original question, I mean, some of the more... Common ones I've seen are um, you know everything from enterprise risk coverages to subcontract default insurance. As you mentioned, the, the medical malpractice. Um, you know we've seen some using medical stop loss uh, for self-insured uh, employer health plans, uh, you know, workers' compensation. Um, you know it's really. Kind of limitless uh, from a coverage standpoint, as long as right. it fits into that general captive model.
1: Right, right. So, and uh, kind of to round it out a little bit, what do you see as some of the tax implications for these? Because I know that's always always seems to be a concern when we're creating new companies uh, related to other companies. What What are your thoughts there?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the tax implications, I think an important thing to know is that each of these segregated accounts within a series will be taxed as its own separate company. So each will file its own tax return. Uh, they will file as an 1120 PC under the, uh, the insurance taxation standards, assuming that they that they meet the requirements for that. So you can have some benefits from that if they fall into the you know, A31B structure, or even if, if they... they don't meet those requirements and their taxes. a normal insurance company, you can still look at receiving um, uh, deductions on the parent company for the premiums paid in and then the captives can deduct a, a large percentage of their loss reserves before they pay those claims whereas if they don't have it through a captive structure like this you know the the operating company would have to wait until those are paid to realize the benefits from any kind of self-insured um plan Um, you know obviously with anything like that i mean you do have you know to get the money once you have the money into the captive that would have to be paid out typically through a, a dividend or, or a similar transaction like that where you have some potential for double taxation as these all are all all of them are taxed as as a corporation and so you do have to be mindful you know of that and kind of know what your your plan is with the captive program as far as how to build that with the capital that's in it, or look at, you know, what's this going to look like when I pull the money out of the captive and and do I have any negative consequences?
1: So, like any of our captive programs, kind of the key things are to make sure that there's a strategy, make sure that the focus is absolutely and always on risk and risk management, and just to you know, make sure that there's uh, a very active active management of the activities uh, in these protected cell captives. Do protected cell captives require separate audits for all the different cells, or do they? Can they file one audit report, or do they file separate compliance statements? How does that work? It
0: really depends on the domicile that they are located in. Um, most domiciles will allow for one. Um, combined audit that will cover all of the entities and have one set of financial statements. But most domiciles within those financial statements will require a combining schedule where you detailed out cell by cell. And and typically really the audit approach is we would have to audit each of those as if they are their own standalone company. So while we can do one report with it, um, you know, as far as the procedures for the audit don't really change, from that standpoint um and, and as far as from a regulatory reporting standpoint um you know all the domiciles are, are going to look at each each cell as a regulated entity so they're really going to be getting the same oversight as if they were if they were a standalone program
1: great great any final thoughts
0: you know i think the the biggest thing with the with the cell series is, is really just making sure you get plugged in with the Um, proper professionals on the planning and feasibility side before you you move forward. I mean, you definitely want to have uh, an actuary who is familiar with cell series and captive programs to price out your policies and make sure that it's going to work from a feasibility standpoint and then have a good captive manager and CPA and attorney in there as, as, as well and really get them involved. On the front end to see does it really make make sense? Is this the right program structure and um, is it just feasible from a cost standpoint based on what you're trying to achieve with your risk management
1: goals? Great and thanks, Stephen. and uh, thanks to everyone listening uh, just as a as a final note here, uh, CRI is available to help with any of your captive insurance questions, please feel free to reach out to us. Thanks, Stephen. Thank you. If you want more CRI insights
0: or are interested in learning about our firm, please visit our website at CRICPA.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of It Figures, the CRI podcast. You can subscribe to It Figures on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen to your podcasts. If you liked what you heard today, please leave us a review.